Hey, this is Laura Jane Grace from Against Me, and you are listening to Appetite for Distortion. This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 223. My name is Brando. And before we get to anything else, uh, we're recording this. as a, It's obviously a podcast, uh, not live radio, but I try to keep it in real time. So we are recording this uh, Wednesday, October 2nd. And yesterday, the, the rock world, the music world, uh, the universe was shook by the announcement of Eddie Van Halen's passing. He had been sick. There have been, you know, rumors about how severe it was. Um, unfortunately, they, they came true. So uh, 65 years old. Uh, I posted many a comment on, on social media uh, about as, as many of you have and just listening to a ton of Van Halen. So before we get into any conversation, I just want to say, you know, uh, yeah, this is a, a GNR themed podcast, but, you know, Eddie Van Halen is guitar. You know, it's... It, Slash would would tell you that himself, so I just want to make sure I, I get that out of the way. And I'll probably ask uh, our our guest today, our first guest today, uh, Lauren Jane Grace from Against Against Me about uh, about an influence. Um, if, if Eddie had any influence and Van Halen had any influence, because we're going to talk to her uh, not just about her her new record, which was it's a solo record. It was supposed to be an Against Me record, Stay Alive, but then the pandemic happened. We'll talk to her about that. Uh, but we're going to reflect on their debut album, Against Me is Reinventing Axl Rose. So you know she's influenced uh, by guitar sound. But uh, before we get to, uh, to Laura, and we're also uh, going to do an Appetite for Discovery uh, interview as well. South of Eden will be on the show later on there from Cleveland, Ohio. So going to a bunch of different places today. And now uh, I, I'm going to a familiar place, although I haven't spoken to... My, my co-host right now for this Laura interview uh, on the phone for a while, which is weird, Maddie B, because we used to live together and, and talk every day. Back when you were Brando the Commando. <laughs> That's how long Maddie B has <laughs> known me. Uh, we go back to college. Honestly, Hofstra University, we were in the same radio class together. That's where I got bit by the radio bug. Uh, Maddie mm-hmm. used to have a mohawk. And, I did. Yes, you did. Not those days. Well, you shaved that off a long time ago. Well, you know, it was one of the, it was a phase, a very very short phase. Uh, you know, very much into punk rock at the time, and, and mohawks were the thing. And then I just decided to shave my head. It was easier to maintain, you know. And at that time, as I shown pictures recently, when I interviewed Scott Stapp, I used to look like Scott Stapp with a baby face in my long hair. <laughs> so we all went through you our. Bring phases. that back. That was a good look. I, I can't do that. I would look. I would bring back the skullet in that way. I would. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like Brett Michaels. You know, which was what I was doing. I was hiding it until I was like, you know what? Mullets are in. Yeah, yeah. Mullets are fashionable. The kids, all the kids, got them these days. So it's it's amazing that you know we go back to college and then you helped me get my very first radio job which parlayed into getting my very first radio interview with Bumblefoot. Cause I had somewhere to interview mm. him. Uh, we were, and you're still, you're still there. You're in Cape Cod, Massachusetts and Pixie 103. Right. Pixie 103. As a matter of fact, um, around sometime this you know, month or week, whatever, 15 years ago is when I started here at Pixie 103. Unbelievable. October of, uh, 2005. Oh, my math is correct. You know, I, everything has grown exponentially since, uh, you know, I, I left, obviously, and it's gone through uh, management changes. And, you know, I, I'm still, I, not everyone is, is still there, but I'm glad to see uh, Lori. Lori is still there. Uh, I don't know if she'll listen to this episode since you're on it, but, you know, she. I'll make her. <laughs> she and you influenced me a lot, even though, you know, we were at the college together. You were like six months ahead. You know, you, you worked at um, the now defunct w, uh, WAAF and. Oh, uh, rest in peace. Yeah. 
that was tough. Uh, I, 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 awful. So, I mean, I always learned so much from you. And we just had a, a good time. I was a Yankee fan living in Massachusetts. <laughs> and this is when the, yeah. the Giants beat the Patriots. So, thankfully, I didn't get... You have to bring that up every time. <laughs> I didn't get killed. But I wanted to bring you on because it wasn't just like we had radio in common. We had... I mean, well, yeah, music. I guess music relates to you know, radio, but you really expanded my horizons. You know, I was, I was, and still am. Yeah. Guns N' Roses. But you really got me into like the flocking mollies and, uh, well against me. And then just like the dark buster and just punk rock, this you know, music that you really wouldn't hear on the radio all the time. And yes, against me would get, uh, eventually get radio play and, and music videos, mm -hmm. but you were, I don't know. You had the mohawk, but you weren't a poser. Like you, <laughs> you know what I mean? You taught me so much about music. And I was like, and it, you, it was us, right? We went to see Against Me, Surge Tank. Yeah, I think with Foo Fighters, right? Yep. Yeah. So the only time I saw Against Me was with you in Massachusetts. Uh, still, um, I guess the Foo Fighters would probably be my, my favorite non-GNR related concert, meaning either the, the reunion <laughs> Axel DC, Hard to top those guys. Yeah. And, and, and Velvet uh, Revolver. But uh, I just wanted mm -hmm. you to, to bring you on, eh? Because, you know, I, I miss you. And yeah, we talk on social media all the time. But, you know, in 2020, who talks on the phone? <laughs> who does that? I know, right? So, um, well, thank you for, for having me on. I, 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 I've, I've been a fan of what you've been doing for a number of years now. I think it's, it's great that you found a niche uh, in this, this genre of, of, something you love guns and roses being that, I mean, you in, in all reality kind of uh, brought in my horizons, especially when it came to guns and roses. I, at that point in time, very much a punk rocker, as you mentioned. And, and while uh, that should have meant that I should have been listening to at the very least appetite for destruction, uh, I was pretty much a, a, you know, a radio familiar guns and roses fan up until that point. And that was, we were living together right around the time that all of the Chinese democracy leaks started coming out and all mm -hmm. that in, in your excitement for, that uh, uh, wore off on me, and, and since then I've you know taken the deep dive into GNR, and and I mean the rest is history. I, I mean, so thank you for that. I remember specifically when uh, you may laugh; uh, some of it might be like off-air humor. But when I was dating that Canadian, and oh, how could I forget her? Yeah, and we were in the you know we kind of met through our love of Guns N' Roses, and uh, she came down to visit one time, and that's when there all the Chinese democracy leaks came out. And mm -hmm. we blasted There Was a Time in the Car. Like You were so into that song. I remember you playing it because you still do. You play bar gigs. You were playing mm -hmm. Chinese Democracy in the bar. These, these I was playing, I was playing uh, like bootleg leaks of the song. I wasn't right. even a fully produced version yet. And, right. and I know you're going to ask me this question. And, and that still is to my, this day my favorite Guns N' Roses song. Oh, yeah. There Was a Time. There was a time, and, and that you know, and not just the 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 leaks, but you know, the the studio cut off of Chinese Democracy. Uh, you know, it's it's still in regular rotation. It's, and whenever it comes on on my playlist or whatever, it gets cranked to eleven, and uh, it's it still hits me the same way all these years later. That's awesome. Um, what cause I feel you've seen them before, right? Because you, uh... I saw Guns N' Roses in uh, two thousand six. I did the research ahead of time. I figured it out. It was on <laughs> one of the Chinese Democracy tour ones. Papa Roach and Sebastian Bach opened uh, November eighth, two thousand and six, um, and and it, Axel and Company, because that's what they were at the time. Axel and Company. Sure. Uh, they showed up at like eleven forty five, typical Guns N' Roses fashion, and uh, still to this day, as much as I enjoyed the concert, I think Sebastian Bach put on a better show. <laughs> You know, it, you'd be hard pressed for people to, I mean, people say that people have, you know, the, the Axel and company feelings. Oh, we've got to put this on pause because we have Laura Jane Grace calling in. Excellent. Hey, Laura. Hey, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Well, Laura, thank you so much for, for joining us today. You know, I, I heard that you were stoked to do this interview, uh, which I'm kind of flattered by because the reason why I have uh, Maddie B on the phone, because I'm. I work for Q1043 in New York City, but there was a time uh, where Maddie and I, and he's still there. We worked at, at a Cape Cod radio station and we were roommates. We both are from, well, he's from Boston. I'm from Long Island. We went to the same college, uh, but we started our on-air careers in Cape Cod and we became better friends and sharing music. And 
I still credit to him to this day, which is why I asked him to join me for making me an, an against me fan. And <laughs> we were reminiscing about the time where we saw you and I mispronounced it as a New Yorker first. I was like, what's Worcester and Worcester, Worcester, Worcester. <laughs> you know, Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts. We saw against me, uh, Serge Tankian and the Foo Fighters. And that's still one of my top concerts ever. So just thank you. Oh, for- rad. Thank you for your time and just thank you for, you know, the great music over the years. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, thank you for reminding me about a great show. And um, yeah, I, 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 I'm right there with you. First time I went there, I, I thought it was Worcester too. Um, I was immediately <laughs> corrected and I know it's Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've obviously, I mean, you've had to learn a lot of different uh, pronunciations of where you, you do tour. So you're obviously, like we all are, frustrated that we, you want to be able to go somewhere and mispronounce the name of the town, but you're stuck at home, you know? So yeah, there, there's nothing more I'd like to, for that right now. <laughs> at least there's a silver lining, I guess, from you, because I, before we go anywhere else, I, I want to talk about stay alive and uh, just the meaning. It's, it's so perfect for now. It's the, 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 the lyrics, the title, obviously how you delivered it to the fans so, because this was supposed to be an against me record, if you can just tell the story of how this came to be. Sure, like it wasn't outright supposed to be an against me record per se. Like you know, it, at the start of this year, I thought I was going to be making an against me record, and that's the presumption that all of us were operating under. And we had been meeting up for a week every month and working in the studio, and you know, getting 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 the ball rolling and you know hung out for a week in january hung out for a week in february uh, met up for a week in march and then we headed out on a tour and we were three days into the tour um and had to had to cancel it you know had to go home because that was when the pandemic hit and it became clear pretty quick that um you know all plans were off and we weren't going to be able to make a record um all of us live in different cities, different states. Um, so just, you know, being physically together in a room is not an option right now. And I really don't like the idea of like trying to remotely collaborate on stuff and like, you know, everyone record their own parts. Like that to me doesn't sit right. Like I, I want to be in a, a band in a room, you know, when I make a record. Um, but so I kind of, you know, I had to pivot and refocus and figure it out. And so at the time, like, you know, I'd spent the last two years working on songs and had a good 30 some odd songs that we were still figuring out, you know, what the record was and, and what we were going to do. And we weren't in any position to record. But so when this happened, you know, like from that, that 30, those 30 some odd songs, I was like, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's just already a record here. And I picked out the 14 songs that became Stay Alive and focused on those and, um, and you know, booked book four days time with um, uh, Steve Albini here at Electrical Audio in Chicago and went in and recorded an all analog record in July, the opposite of a Zoom call, total <laughs> opposite experience of that. And, um, and, and yeah, and now we have a record. Couple of questions about uh, working with Steve Largen. The uh, first of all, did he have like a uh, a special COVID nineteen quarantine jumpsuit for the occasion? Just his normal jumpsuit, but um, normal one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, we were both. It was like it felt like being in a movie. You know, like it legitimately felt like it being in a movie because we both were wearing face masks the whole time, mm-hmm. and no one else was there with us. Um, so, you know, I, I'm used to making a record with a band and used to there being people around and having that energy. And so this was two people being completely isolated, um, wearing face masks. So just eyeballs peeking out. Um, I only took my mask off when I was in the live room doing, you know, takes. And then, you know, I couldn't see Steve. So he just became a voice on the intercom that comes over and it says like, Roland, you know, um, <laughs> So it was, it was a, you know, it was a very stark experience, but like a, a really positive one, really great to have something like to focus on, you know, and, and to be creating something during that period of time to, to, to be a positive distraction from everything that's going on, you know? Maybe I'm just uh, looking at too much of this from a fan perspective, but uh, working with Steve Albini and previously with Butch Vig, is there any like Nirvana connection to you when working with those two producers that produced two of those amazing Nirvana albums? Is like, does that have any sort of like meaning to you? I would be lying if I said it didn't. Um, mm. I, I revere Nirvana, and and as 
you know, as you pointed, uh, as was pointed out, like, you know, like, uh, I, I got the chance to tour with the Foo Fighters. We did like a three month long tour with the Foo Fighters, played Wembley with the Foo Fighters, you know, like, and that experience was incredible. I like, you know, I, I will forever look up to Dave Grohl, um, and forever thankful for, you know, that, that experience for his music and, um, having the chance to like work with people that Nirvana worked with, like, means the world to me you know they they absolutely changed my life as a band when when i was a kid you know it's interesting and i, I don't want to lose it because I, I respect the fact that you want to perform and create music as a band you know uh we guns and roses fans you know obviously the gnr theme are kind of snickering in the back of our head being like have they ever kind of done that but we can get to that later on but when you were cause, <laughs> but now because i'm getting visuals of you know, you being, uh, you know, in a mask and recording and having the, this voice of God telling you, was that, even that was preferred over just doing Zoom? You know, I, I didn't want to do Zoom either with the with podcast because I'm a theater of the mind radio guy, but, you know, everyone's doing Zoom now. You didn't want to cave into your, into your, I guess, creative process, even though it was awkward. I had like immediate anxiety attacks when everything switched to Zoom and to live streaming. Like it was because it was so abrupt, you know, it was like the pandemic hit. And then a week later, there was an expectation for everyone to be online, to be live streaming. It was like some kind of telethon type thing. And for every, you know, conversation with management or whoever, like to be a Zoom call. And it just like it gave me a, a panic attack, you know, like a literal panic attack. And I shut down. I literally like blocked everyone in my phone and shut myself off and just was like, I need to refocus right now. And I wanted to like, I wanted to work still and I wanted, but I wanted to create something that's real. And that was kind of like what I realized was that that's in part what bugs me about it is that like, there's no real lasting thing to it. You know, like it's great. Like if, if it helps you communicate, awesome. You know, like if, if, if you find positive aspects of it, great, you know, but like there's once it's done, it's done. There's, it's like digital ash. There's nothing left from it, you know? And in, in in this time where it's like, okay, we've lost live music. We don't have live music. And if all we have left is recordings, if everything is like a pro tooled together, computer performance fabrication, then we just have nothing. So like, mm-hmm. I wanted to make something that was a document, you know, like I practiced as hard as I could leading up to it. I was as prepared as possible. I knew that Steve like would have no tolerance and lose, I would lose his attention if I wasn't prepared. I knew that he wasn't interested in being a producer. Like he's very adamant about that. He's an engineer that any decisions were going to have to be made by myself. So like, and especially having like a small window of time to work in, I was like, I have to be really prepared for this. So if it's an imperfect record, it's like, well, that's just a snapshot at the time. That's, that's my ability. And I have to be fine with that. And in this day, like this period of time, if you're like reaching outside of your ability, you're going to find you're meeting like frustration time and time again, you know, because you are limited right now. And that's just the reality of the situation. So it's like, you know, trying to make the best of circumstances, but also trying to make something lasting because, you know, I want to be able to look back in 10 years time from now and be like, what did I do during the, during the play, during the pandemic, I made a record, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, and when it comes down to it, any imperfections in that record, you know, like if a string was rattling here, or I was a little pitchy with a vocal take there, like that won't matter. It'll just matter that I, I, I did something and, and, you know, that there's something to show for it. And that can grow from there. Like I, I hope to be able to go out and tour, you know, like as soon as we're able to tour again, as soon as shows can happen again, like I got a record out, like hopefully people will want to hear those songs live and I'll go, you know, and it can grow. You know, it's not just about putting out a record. It's you're, you're putting to people work, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. I it, like that, that really hit me when I was, you know, trying to decide what to do. Um, like all you read about right now and all you hear about right now is like, you know, venues closing down, um, record stores struggling, whatever people being out of work, you know, like, and to me, it seems like morally wrong. The idea of like, if you can work to not work. Um, so like, the idea that, you know, and, and like, you know, I'm, I'm a smaller artist, like I'm not the biggest artist in the world or whatever, but like, if I put out a record, that means like, okay, my publicist is going to work. Like 
the merch company that I work with in Houston, they're going to be working. They'll print some shirts, you know, the record label will work. And then, you know, these records will be physical records in a record store that then has something new to sell. Like it keeps the, it keeps the thing going. And like, with not wanting to see the things that I love disappear, the music industry, like the culture and everything, like the only thing you can do is fight for that then and, 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 and go out there and keep creating. And that doesn't mean you don't have to change because you do. You have to like adapt and figure out how to make it work, but just work, like just keep it going. Don't give up hope and just don't give up, you know? Yeah, I do. And, and just so well said. So I want to go back to another snapshot in time and that's, your debut uh, against me is reinventing Axl Rose. I would love to, yeah. to find out how that, I mean, I'm sure you've spoken about it uh, throughout the years, but how that title came about, how the, the cover art came about, you know, if, if Axel ever contacted you, uh, what inspired it? If you can just kind of tell us the story about uh, your debut album. Sure. Um, Guns N' Roses were my all-time favorite band when I was a kid. They were like the first band that absolutely hooked me. I loved Guns N' Roses. Like, and this is like third grade when I got into Guns N' Roses. I grew up a military brat um, on military bases across the world. At the time, I was living in Italy, and I bought a copy of Appetite for Destruction on cassette tape from the PX, and um, it just blew my mind, you know? And I have so many... So many childhood memories attached to Guns N' Roses and like the influence they had on me. Um, for instance, like, you know, in the third grade, I started wearing a Sid Vicious chain and lock collar because Duff McKagan wore one, not because I knew who Sid Vicious was. And I got called into the principal's office and they had to rip the thing off my neck, literally cut it off with bolt cutters because wow. they said I wasn't allowed to wear a chain with like a, a, a lock on it. Um, I used to... At my bus stop, I had a crush on a girl at the neighboring bus stop, and I used to sit at my bus stop and scream the lyrics to Night Train across <laughs> the street to her. And I had no idea what they meant by Night Train. I just thought, like, yeah, they're on a train at night, you know? <laughs> um, like, no clue. Um, and I remember just, like, the palpable anticipation of waiting for Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 to come out. And, like how those records blew my mind. And I remember like my mother sitting me down on my bed and being like, what, what do you, what do you like about this band? What is it about this music? And I was like, mom, you got to listen to the lyrics. Like, I mean, like what's so, what is so civil about war anyway? You know? And I like, just totally sincere <laughs> and like, just like enraptured with Guns N' Roses. Like used to read Hit Parader and all those magazines and just devoured any little bit of information I could about them. And then, you know, when I moved to the U.S., that was like 1991, end of 91, beginning of 92, and it was right when Nirvana hit. And I came back not, you know, I didn't grow up with MTV when I was living overseas, so I came back immediately into MTV, and they were playing Smells Like Teen Spirit, they were playing Michael Jackson, Black or White, and they were playing uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Give It Away, like on rotation all the time, those three videos, I just remember it so vividly. And, um, you know, Nirvana blew my mind, because they were like, the complete opposite of all the, the 80s bands that I loved, you know, like, because I was into all of it, like Skid Row, Warrant, all that stuff. And um, and I, I went from, you know, Nirvana, and then was like my gateway more so into punk, even though I didn't realize it, as I said, that Guns N' Roses were really like that gateway into punk too, with like Duff wearing the Sid collar and, you know, he used sure. to wear the damned shirts and stuff like that. Um, so it led me into punk and I got into punk and for, you know, a real long time, like punk was totally about hating anything mainstream and like turning your back on all those bands you listened to, including Nirvana. You know, when I was 16 or 17, if you had asked me about any of those bands, I would have denied any kind of love for them in any kind of way. Mm. Um, and, and then, you know, when my band got going and when we recorded our first full length, I was probably like 20 at the time. And, it was like meant as like an anti-statement to Guns N' Roses, but at the same time, it was a very definite tribute. You know, it was just like meant in tribute to like where I had come from and the bands that had influenced me, the influence that Guns N' Roses had on me, but reclaiming that spirit and reclaiming that and making it into my own thing and taking it from there. So, 
you know, for, for a first record, I, I was definitely like paying tribute to where I came from. Did you ever hear from, and obviously it was a debut, uh, and you're being very modest when you, uh, you were talking about what level band you are. I mean, while, yeah, it was opening for the Foo Fighters, you still played Wembley Stadium. Uh, I don't I was wondering if you were ever on his radar, if he ever reached out to you, cause it's a nice silhouette picture of him on the cover. And I don't know, uh, some people say Axel's on the internet all the time and, and, and all, saying all things like, you know, does, or maybe he's not on the internet so about what uh, people are saying about him. So I'm just curious if, uh, A, if, you've, if he's ever reached out and if you've ever come across Duff, maybe, and, and talk about uh, the influence <laughs> he's had on you or anything like, with any of the members. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Well, I've like, uh, you know, I follow Axel on Twitter. Um, but, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, Me too. I, and I, I, I have a friend who's like uh, a Guns N' Roses super fan in Italy. And I used to be kind of pen pals with them. And they once sent me a picture and they were holding up the reinventing Axl Rose shirt and they were with Duff and Slash. So nice. I at least know that Duff and Slash were like aware of the record in some context. I don't know if Axl ever saw it or anything. And, and you know, the artwork on the record, like I made that artwork. I, I designed the album sleeve and I cut that out with like an X-Acto knife and, and, you know, it's, it's like a stencil design or whatever. I made it. Um, and awesome. I, so I don't know. I don't know if he ever saw it or anything like that. I have like had small interactions with both Slash and Duff over the years where um, I'll tell you one of the best mornings of my life. Um, I played at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Joan Jett. Mm-hmm. I wrote a song for Joan Jett's Unvarnished album. Uh, me and Joan wrote a song together. And um, we played that song together that night. And she also did a cover of a, a Rolling Stones song with Slash that night. And so that morning... I went down to sound check and like just me and my daughter got to sit and watch Joan Jett and the Blackhearts sound check a Rolling Stone song with Slash. And it was just like the coolest thing <laughs> ever. Like my mind was blown. And after they were done sound checking, I went up to Slash and my daughter's name's Evelyn. And I was like, uh, hi Slash. Uh, my name's Evelyn. This is my daughter, Laura. I mean, I mean, I'm Laura and this is my daughter. Evelyn. <laughs> like totally just like flustered. And he's just, you know, he's got the hat on, he's got the hair in his eyes and he's like, Oh, cool. And I goes and walks away. Um, but, uh, you know, another time we played it, um, one of the K rock events in LA and uh, velvet revolver played, <clears throat> And after our set, after Velvet Revolver set, uh, Duff was hanging out backstage and I was with somebody who was talking to him and like he was getting ready to leave and he had like a Jan Sport backpack on, I'm sure with whatever, you know, show clothes in his backpack or whatever. And I was just so fascinated by it where I was like, oh my God, Duff wears Jan Sport backpack. <laughs> like it's so human. It's so real because... That was the thing, like, you know, and that, that show, that K-Rock show in particular was the first time I had ever seen them in person. Um, and seeing Duff and Slash and, and Matt Sorum walk to the stage, it was like, it was like, wow, those, those are real rock stars. Like, I'd never seen rock stars in that, like that before. And it was like emanating from them. It's just unreal to, to speak of, but, um. You know, I'll tell you another little bit of against me trivia and history um, where so New Wave, our first record uh, for Sire, Warner Brothers and White Cross is our second record for Sire, Warner Brothers. Both of those records were produced by Butch Vig. And on both of those, both of those records, um, our drummer and it was two different drummers on the record, a drummer named Warren Oaks played on uh, New Wave and a drummer named um, George Rebello played on White Crosses. But on both of those records, the snare drum they used on half of the songs was a snare drum that's called Big Red that is owned by a drum tech named Mike Fasano, and it is the snare drum that was used on November Rain and a number of other um, Guns N' Roses songs. Uh, the other oh, snare drum that we used on the Mike record on the show, is, Mike, Mike Fasano, right? Yeah, Mike Fasano. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's so, been on um, the show. He's an awesome dude, awesome guy. Yeah, he he um he like teched all both of those records. He was the drum tech for both of our records, and he used to, from my understanding, be roommates with Matt Sorum, yep. and that's how he came to acquire the big red snare drum. But so literally, the snare drum that's on New Wave and White Crosses 
for half the songs is the same snare drum that's like all over Easter Illusions one and two. And oh man, I just thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. Being no able wonder to have why that snare I, drum I, on the record. No, no wonder why I love those records and why they're so good. It's, I, oh, I love it. See, this is what I often call, uh, Laura, the six degrees of GNR bacon. And, and, and you fall under it. Absolutely. And by the way, I'm uh, even more six degrees. Uh, I have a Jansport backpack to my left right now. So just saying. <laughs> so, wow. So human. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Laura, I mean, this is why, I mean, you can obviously, it, it hasn't changed uh, since, since day one from your the music and, and when you became in, in the public eye about how much of a fan of music that you, you are. And I think that's, it comes across in your music and, I'm glad that you were able to share music with us during this quarantine. And I, I'm sure it was a difficult decision to, you know, put it out yourself, uh, albeit with help, of course, but it, it not being the way you envisioned it, but still being in touch with your fans and, and sharing a message with us. So just, you know, thank you for continuing to make a brilliant work. My pleasure. How cool would that be if I'm going to release a surprise record? Like, how many years has it been since Chinese democracy? And then, bam, they just released a record right now. Oh, I wish they would do that. He's itching for it, Laura. He's, he's, <laughs> he dreams about that every night. I mean, you know, I can ask your opinion on these on these two things because, yeah, I, I, I we all joke and I, I, you never know. I always, this is how I became like a GNR fan. I was like, because I... I, I just had therapy this morning. I've been I've been in therapy for 10 years. And I'm like, you know, Axel probably goes to therapy. Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? You know, I'm trying to get defensive of like, I don't know how long it's going to take him to, to make music. But with ACDC putting out new music and just with like, just barely over three minutes, how much that was an escape from all the negative in the world. Just the same, almost the same ACDC song you've been hearing for 40 years, but it's amazing. <laughs> and then uh, I was, I was glad, very glad to hear on the heels of bad news and actually started the podcast with this, um, talking about the, the passing of Eddie Van Halen. I kept thinking of like Sammy Hagar publicly was trying to make amends. And the rumor is that they did make amends behind the scenes, which I think is better. It's none of our business. Uh, yeah. but like you never know when it's too late, you know? And it's like, they're all getting older. I wanted to, to come out, you know, already like, what are you holding on to it for? So I even had that thought, about uh, stay alive. I was like, hmm, maybe she should, you know, wait maybe the, until, I mean, not like none of us know when everything's going to be okay to make it in an against me record or to do it in your original vision. But no, this is great. You, you wanted to get it out because you just, you never know. And this is a cap, uh, you know, captioned in time. So that's my long one. It's like, I, I get it. It's been, since, it's been since uh, 2008. I was still living with a, uh, with Maddie in Cape Cod when Chinese Democracy came out, and he's been he, he's married with almost a kid already. I'm I've completely moved on. It's, it's a lifetime ago, you know. So it's a uh, oh, sorry, it's a touchy Time subject. No. <laughs> I can I, I, talk I about new music like and a, none of its GNRs. <laughs> I hope it, but that's like serious, and that's what I'm talking about. Where like I hope it is like a wake up call for so many of the musicians and artists who like I admire, who like I grew up with who like I get it you know like they've they've like they've done it all they've seen it all and like you know they, they can easily rest on their laurels right now but like I hope they don't like I hope that they join the fight to keep it alive right. you know and that they get out there and they put out music and that they try and that that you know hopefully it's a perspective shift for everyone and that like you know people are that much more appreciative of it too you know and that that it can rekindle some of that energy that made earlier recordings great where there was spontaneity present. Um, and I just like, Oh, like even like, Oh, an actual solo record of just him and him and the piano, that right. would be mind blowing, you know, like, yeah. Oh, that would be so good. I couldn't agree more. So, which is why I, I'm, I'm grateful. At least, you know, you're the kind of artist, <laughs> no, no offense, Axel, I, I, I not going listen, but uh, no, you're the kind of artist that does that. And it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's raw, it's pure. It's uh, everything you would expect and, and more from Laura Jane Grace. And obviously you're from the, you're an against me fan. Uh, everyone, you know, your, your voice is undeniable. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, Maddie, if you have any last uh, questions, feel free to, you know, get them in before we, oh, I, I have, uh, we don't have enough time for all the questions I have for Laura. <laughs> I've been a fan for, for many, many years. Um, and I just want to, uh, thank you for, you know, you know, taking the time today. I also want to thank you for uh, being yourself and, and putting yourself out there over the years. Um, 
you're you're an amazing human being and someone to look up to and i and i hope more people and more kids specifically uh uh follow up and find out more about laura uh such an amazing human being and, and just thank you for for being you Thank you very much, both of you. It's a pleasure talking with you all. Take it easy, okay? You too. So that was cool, man. And I know you have to to run too because you're calling me in between. Uh, wait, when are you on the air on Cape Cod's Rock Pixie 103? I'm on. Uh, I'm on every day but Sunday. I'm on 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, if I, you know, if I can do the shameless self promotion, uh, CapeCodRadio.com. We've got an app in the App Store. You can tell your Alexa to listen to Pixie 103, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, we're we're a rock station, and, and we play tons of Guns and Roses. We're we're very heavy with Van Halen right now, obviously. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a job, and I love it. I'm I'm so glad you know uh, that because it. This is a very hard, hard industry. I have a, a lot of friends who are no longer in it for a variety of reasons. So I'm glad that you do. And I'll tell you something. I was listening back. I have, I wish I had all of what I, I mean, we didn't know, I guess, or I didn't know uh, of things that I recorded back in my days at, at Pixie. I wish I had the yeah. entire Bumblefoot interview that I did. I remember you kind of laughing at me because I never did an interview before. And I just kept talking and talking and talking. And it ended up being like a 45 minute interview. And <laughs> it was more, it was more of a, uh, a monologue than an interview. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess probably. Cause I've never done, I, I only have like a piece of it, which I used for demos. Cause I have old demos. Yeah. And I just remember since it was so long, uh, the, the program director we had at the time, which, uh, which is another story for another time. Uh, she, she, uh, let me put, cause I was filling in for you as the night guy and she let me put on like yeah. five minutes a night, like each night. It was like Bumblefoot week, <laughs> but that was really nice of her. And, uh, again, I listened to those old interviews and, and uh, air checks and I, I cringe as weird and awkward as I am now just to multiply that by God, an incalculable number. That's how bad, how worse I was at the time. And before you go, I also want to uh, acknowledge because we haven't. Maybe we'll talk about it off air a little bit because you said, um, you know, me carving my my niche here. Uh, I, we both lost a radio friend uh, recently, mm -hmm. uh, Bumper Morgan. I, I believe yeah. he was only uh, fifty six. You know, his mid fifties. Yeah, he wasn't very old, and you know, ALS is a, is a son of a bitch in it, and it was. I, I don't know much about the disease outside of what it does. Um, and I know there's different forms of it, but he had the very rapid one. Um, and the, and the first thing it did is it, is it took his voice, yeah. um, which is probably the most heartbreaking part of it for me, yeah. not to bring people down, but a guy who, whose career was talking and, and, and he was, you know, the voice of, of numerous radio stations across the country and commercials and, uh, to, to, to take away his voice is just, just a cruel, cruel thing. It breaks my heart, but I'll never forget. And, you know, if he's looking somewhere, uh, I'm sure he appreciates uh, me saying this, but I still remember when I left because he, he was so encouraging and, and really, mm -hmm. you know, so good to me. Uh, he would always call me like uh, the Jerry Seinfeld of radio with my little Jewish. Yeah, clips. I remember that. Uh, but he gave me a goodbye card and it said to carve your niche. And it, it, I guess it took a Guns N' Roses podcast to do so, but that's something I never forgot. So just, um, you know, yeah. while you're here, you know, rest in peace, bump. And, uh, but I, I just to make it positive. Just thank you so much, Matt, for, uh, do, I know we've been talking about doing this podcast, uh, you know, you doing an episode with me for a while and I'm sure we'll do another one. I hope so. Cause I, I really enjoyed this. Um, thank you, uh, again for introducing GNR to me for, for real, you know, 15, 16 years ago, however long it was. Um, and you know, I'm glad that you've, you found your niche and, uh, you're, you're doing a great job. You're interviewing some, some behemoths and, uh, and I'm jealous. I'm, I'm stuck with the, with the, with the sea level people that come through Cape Cod <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> hey, I got lucky. I wanted to get you, uh, if I ever get Henry Rollins on back again, uh, I'll get you. Oh, well, just quickly. Cause it's a funny story. What did you say that right. one time you met Henry Rollins to him? Uh, so 
so Henry Rollins is like a dude that I really look up looked up to more so when I was younger. I still do. Um, but I saw you performed at Warp Tour with Rollins band and uh it was like a hundred and three degrees and he just got off stage, he was doing a meet and greet and uh I didn't realize he was doing it. I ran over at the very last minute and the guy was like the line was already cut off and I begged the dude who was a security guy, he was like, Go ahead and uh Hank is just done. He doesn't want anything to do anything to do with anybody anymore and I just look at him and I said thank you you taught me to hate everything he's like yeah I guess you're welcome I was like no 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 that's not what I meant he's like okay kid have a good day I'm like son of a bitch it's like Laura messing up her uh, her, her, her daughter's names you just, you never know what to say so I'll give you another right, opportunity exactly. uh, in the future <laughs> thanks Maddie well thank you I appreciate it oh I miss that guy uh, we knew each other from college, but we were not like friends, more of acquaintances that stayed in touch, but we became, became better friends in, uh, in Cape Cod and radio. And obviously, uh, friends ever since went to his, uh, his wedding and, you know, just good dude, miss him. Uh, hard to find good radio people, but, uh, Maddie B is, it's also hard to find good new music. Uh, new ACDC is out. Sounds like the old ACDC, but it's awesome. No new Guns N' Roses. There's a new pinball machine, which you guys are aware. So if you want to drop between, I think it was like 9,000 to 12,000, depending upon what tier you get, uh, you can get it. It has Guns N' Roses music on it. <laughs> I don't think there's any uh, anything new. It is uh, two very cool things, uh, though, about it. Because, you know, if I had the the means, I would absolutely get it, put it that way. One reason why I would definitely get it is because it looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the reason why it looks so stellar, it's because of our friend Arian Bueller, who did so many of the Guns N' Roses lithographs and the, the box set, which he was nominated for a Grammy, along with the other artistic directors. Uh, he also did the Shadow of Your Love uh, music video, all of which are just phenomenal looking. Uh, so Arian Bueller, just congrats on another incredible product. And also, all of the current members do voiceovers on the pinball. I think that's pretty badass. And there was a recent interview with Slash uh, saying that they, he wanted the, like, the pinball machine to feel like a live Guns N' Roses show. And it looks like he does that. It really does. Um, you know, maybe one day I'll hit the lotto or I'll start selling ads on this podcast and I can save up for one. Because that, honestly, you know, we, it, it's, it's expensive, but I would get one if I could. Uh, but we, what we do have that is new, uh, as far as new music, and we're going to do it in our segment we like to call Appetite for Discovery, South of Eden from Ohio. Uh, they have a new EP out. I believe it's out everywhere, The Talk. So let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of Appetite for Discovery. I just want very appetite. Rather than just throwing a bunch of songs together that we think are fun, we're going over it, you know, with a fine-tooth comb and just working on everything to try it. That's the goal. Very appetite. For Discovery! Appetite for Discovery. I love doing this this segment. Uh, the sound bites, um, I don't know, that, that may need work. Uh, you, I know you all miss the sound bites as we continue to feel, feel our quarantine uh, here. Um, just doing my uh, the show out of my apartment in Queens, but you know what? It's great to to travel all over. We got to talk to Lord Jane Grace before. Uh, I believe she's in uh, Chicago. Maddie B was the co-host. He was in you know Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm in Queens, New York. But now we go to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Right? Is that where you uh, are uh, both right now, Ehab and Nick? Uh, I am currently in Tennessee. Okay, so there was that Nick saying uh, Tennessee. Yes, sir. Yeah, he is. Yep. Oh, look at that. I'm already getting your, your voices, uh, your, your, your tone down already. So we have Nick and Ehab uh, from South of Eden. Uh, I guess the band, it's, it's advertised as Columbus, Ohio. So I guess that's why I kind of, you know, guessed that. Um, but we got to talk about, it, I guess, location. Uh, before we get to that, I guess, because uh, first of all, congratulations. The fact that you are uh, putting out, you know, a brand new, or it's out now, the, the new EP, correct? It is out now. It's on uh, available on all streaming platforms. Because I know the video is out uh, for the talk, and also your, your cover of Audio Slave. And just not just congratulations on on the talk being out, but being already covered by Rolling Stone and and Spin. So I guess I kind of want to go back a little bit because while you're a young band, you're already making headway. So 
how, who do we credit credit with uh, like starting being the foundation, the first building block of South of Eden? Yeah, I think that goes to Ehab and Tommy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so back in the day, uh, in 2018 or whatever, <laughs> right. um, me and uh, me and the drummer Tommy, we we had linked up because the uh, remains of our band kind of all moved away. It was kind of that transition time in our lives between high school and whether you're going to go to college or not. So <clears throat> we uh, we ended up kind of jamming together and kind of having like a fun bar band that uh, eventually, upon the arrival of Justin, who had taken like a winter break or whatever from Berkeley over there in Boston, you're kind of your neck of the woods. Um, they, um, more or less, he took a winter break and we all jammed together for the first time and the dude never went back to college. We ended up starting a, a three-piece band until uh, Nick came into the picture. I mean, that's pretty cool that uh, you went to, to Berkeley. And, and yeah, I, I used to do, you know, visit Boston all the time when I was doing radio in, in Cape Cod. But uh, Ehab, if I, and I'm pronouncing that, correct? I don't want to, you know, I, I butcher my own name sometimes. I just want to make sure I'm saying No, you're killing it, man. Okay. Yeah, you're killing it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because what's great, because I know you, you're from Ohio now, but that's not, I guess, where you were born. Like, because I want to talk about how that music influenced you. You were born in, in Jordan? Is that my remembering that correctly? Yeah, correct. Yes, yeah, so I was born in Jordan, and I ended up coming to the states in uh, about 2001. Um, you know that that music was kind of all I uh, the Arabic Arabic style of music was all I'd listened to for uh, the majority of my life. It feels like because when we came over here, you know, we were Arabic speaking uh, family, kind of having to learn English and all that kind of stuff. So all I was really listening to was Arabic music, and um, the really only the, the the Western music was kind of like the biggest stars in the nation or I'm sorry, in the, in the world that would make it over to Middle East. So like Michael Jackson or, you know, like Phil Collins, stuff sure. like that would, would make it over. But, um, other than that, it was, it was primarily Arabic, uh, music that I was listening to. And I think that, uh, on the upcoming album towards the end of the year, early next year, you'll kind of get, to get a little bit of a taste of that. Uh, what is that called? Nick, the har- harmonic minor. Is that yes, sir. Uh, yeah, man. So how old were you? Well, I mean, obviously you were young, but uh, how old were you when you did move to America? Yeah, I was only like four years old. Okay. Um, so I was, I was very young, but it was, um, it was kind of like my parents' mission to make sure that, uh, you know, we visited Jordan very often. And when we did visit, we'd go for the whole summer, like three and a half months or whatever. So English, uh, English was definitely uh, looked at as the second language and uh, keeping the roots of you know, the, the Arab language and all that kind of stuff was super important to my family. Then let me ask this, and, and Nick, I'll ask you the same question, because, you know, whether it's a, a young band or I'll, I'll ask this of, you know, anybody, any guest that I have, you know, I, I kind of want to know what inspired you to first get into rock or who inspired you? Was it, uh, you know, a, a cousin, older brother, uh, you know, parents? You know, a lot of people are having this conversation now with the passing of uh, Eddie Van Halen and just the amount of uh, the coverage that he has. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, You somebody was touched by him. And so I kind of want to know, I guess start with uh, with Yui, how, like, how did you get into, into rock? Because, you know, I'm reading up on you guys, of course, and you have influences like, you know, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Guns N' Roses. So I guess how did that music, the Western music, like when did that first take a hold of you? Yeah, so I, it, it, to me, it really was um, like I knew I wanted to be a performer as soon as I saw Michael Jackson. I didn't know that I wanted to be a musician necessarily, but I knew I wanted to be a performer. And and you know, towards probably like 2005 ish, we moved from kind of a poor part of Columbus to a little bit of a better part, a suburb called Westerville. And around that time is actually when I met Nick. Um, and Nick actually completely influenced um, my musical journey, my wanting to be a musician, because the dude has always played music in one way or another, whether it was just messing around on a piano or you know, being an incredible bass player. Even when, you know, back in the day, uh, his father had a lot of influence because he, it seemed like he was always recording in the studio or doing stuff with his family. So I was like, man, that's pretty cool. And one day he was looking for a singer and, some chick told him that I could sing. And at that time I was singing like Lady Gaga. And nice. so he goes, 
and he was like, yeah, that's not going to work here. Check this out. And, um, it was Rocket Queen by Guns N' Roses. Actually, that was my introduction to rock and roll. Wow! So he, he had a he had a dramatic impact on me. And that's that's honestly got how I personally got into rock and roll. I didn't even know that. So I love that that came up organically. It's not like I set you up for that question on this GNR themed podcast. That's an actual real thing that happened. Uh, I guess right, yeah, I, pressure's I, on, I, Nick. <laughs> Pressure, do you have a good <laughs> pressure's on, Nick? Do you have a good story like that? <laughs> Uh, I think not not as good, but what really got me into to rock and roll was my my family's played for like my dad played back in the seventies, my stepdad played in like metal bands throughout the eighties. Oh, okay. And I think it was I was really young, probably five or six years old, and it was something on the radio came on, and it just it got me. And from that point on, I was like, whatever the hell that is, I want it, I need it. And that song was uh, Dr. Feelgood okay. by Motley Crue. <laughs> nice. Ever since then, it's, I've just been, been loving it. You know, it's great. My my former co-host, uh, still current friend, uh, Ian Scotto, he has a Dr. Feelgood tattoo on his back. The only tattoo he has. So you, that's an equally uh, awesome, awesome story. And I want to make sure that I read this from your, your press release because I, I just love the way it was written. Uh, we're a band that writes records and plays like the pioneers of rock before us because not everybody gives respect to uh you know the, the the classic rock so you definitely do uh we aren't looking to bring anything back but instead to remind people what rock and roll means no rules this music represents what we believe is real raw music no click tracks or triggers or copy and paste bullshit just a bunch of hippies in a room i love that and if that doesn't get you excited to, to hear and meet South of Eden, I don't know what will. <laughs> Thank you, man. That means a lot. And yeah, man, you know, especially with the, the passing of Eddie Van Halen, I mean, uh, you know, may you rest in peace. It, it, we feel ever, we just feel more inclined and, and, you know, kind of almost like we suck our teeth deeper, even though it's only been a day deeper into our ideology, which is the ideology of a lot of, you know, bands from back in the day. And that's why that little bit about we're not trying to bring anything back is in there, right? Because we're, you know, we're, we're not trying to sound like anybody. We're not trying to make people listen to, you know, tape again or anything like that. That's not what we're saying. We're just kind of going, um, you know, music writing wise and performing wise. We're just doing what they did, just being very, very raw and kind of representing what rock and roll is, which at the end of the day is just a middle finger. And I think at the end of the day, it's why this music survives, why, uh, you know, you hear the outpour about Eddie Van Halen from, I mean, from all walks of life. And I was having this conversation the other day because I also work um, at Q1043 in, in New York City and how the, the young listenership is way up on these songs that have been played for, for 40 years. I mean, the, the music speaks for itself, which is why, you know, we talk about it on this podcast. It's, it's frustrating why, you know, bands like you, just these young rock bands, I, WAP is there a WAP or whatever it is. And is the number one song in, in the country or the world or whatever it is from, uh, what's her face? Uh, Cardi, Cardi B, Cardi which, B, which sounds like a, you know, a heart medication. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me. So actually, uh, uh, Ehab, you're quoted in this in the same uh, release that you want to open the doors for rock and roll in the modern era, and I we need that. So, just to simplify it a little bit, what is the scene like in Ohio, or like what are you what are you feeling on the ground floor before you know a quarantine? What were you seeing out in crowds? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's it's too far off from mainstream. Columbus is is almost turning into like the new LA, is what the joke has been because. There's so many good bands coming out of Columbus and the scene just gets behind anything. I mean, there's venues everywhere. There's fans everywhere. And it's a, it's a whole community that's kind of built itself. And as far as not being mainstream, obviously the music goes in cycles and pops what it is now. And that'll, that'll turn around and end up being rock at some point in the near future. But as far as the Columbus scene goes, it's couldn't ask for anything better. Columbus scene is like super diverse. It seems like too. It's like there's there's rock and roll, there's pop, there's pop punk, there's all kinds of stuff that's happening around here. And I think that's another you know really good thing about being placed here in Columbus. 
because I feel like I need to be educated on Columbus. My brother had lived there for a few years. He was, uh, he was going to school there, but, uh, and I'm, I guess I'm a bad brother and never got to, to visit him. Uh, but I, as a New Yorker, you know, I vision, I know it's not Cleveland, you know, but I, I'm just, I want to know what the city is of Columbus is like. The only thing I know is just like a hockey fan. I'm like the blue jackets play there. So, I mean, are the, how are the clubs there? Cause it's unfortunate because even in here in New York city, places are closing down. So I, I don't know. Are there, uh, maybe you want to give them a shot out of their like local clubs that you really like playing that you feel are uh, keeping the, the rock, you know, the rock venue name, uh, doing the rock venue name proud. Yeah, the, the Newport musical is I think the oldest running uh, music venue in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And it's, only that second, is, it's only second to the El Rosa, which is technically the longest because they never changed their name because the Newport used to be the Agora. So true. There's, there's two venues right there, which are the two longest running rock venues in America. Okay. All right. See, I learned today. So what was the plan going into this year? Uh, the plan was touring. We were going to drop, we were going to drop a couple singles and then drop a full blown record and tour the shit out of it. But obviously, with COVID happening, that that uh, got eighty six real quick. I know it's 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 awful, you know. And, and we were just talking to so I guess so. How are you adapting to it? Because we were just talking to Laura and Jane Grace, and you know she had this music uh, that she was working on for years that uh, was potentially meant for against me, but she decided against against uh, either producing it with her bandmates via Zoom or doing it that way. Uh, so she wanted to put it out, uh, and I'm retelling the story to, for, for you guys. Yeah, not my listeners just heard this. Uh, so, but she decided like I need to get this out, and she made it her own, her solo album. And she's like, "This is going to be a, you know, I'm going to do it my own way. It's going to be a, a capture in time." So I guess how are you guys adapting, and what are you doing now to you know communicate with fans and you know still get your name out there? Yeah, we want go ahead, Nick. Oh, I was going to say, um, we ended up releasing a couple singles and then an EP just because we did that record last summer and it's been so long since we put anything out and our fans just needed it. And we were getting messages every day, like, when's the new stuff coming out? When are we going to hear it? And we just couldn't keep them waiting any longer. We just, we had to drop something. Huh. You know, uh, I, I, I said this earlier, the conversation, uh, uh, G and our fans are snickering in the back you know, fans clamoring for music. So I'm glad that you, uh, you gave it to us. Uh, I want to know, uh, and I, you, you covered my favorite audio slave song, you know, show me how to live. I mean, that, that's, you hit it. I mean, there are obviously there's so much to choose from, but that's my personal favorite and you nail it. And, uh, that was very cool of spin to pick that up. So, you know, how did Thank that, you. how did that cover, what, what made you decide to cover, uh, you know, I guess audio slave in general and why that song specifically? Audio Slave has always seemed to be like something that we don't talk about very often, but every time an Audio Slave song plays, um, it seems like we all know it, we all vibe to it very well. And the four of us have, mm. you know, we have a lot of overlapping, um, you know, music likes, and uh, we have overlapping music hates, but there's also kind of like this gray area that we all go into on our own. And, um, you know, some of us are like, well, I would never listen to that while others really enjoy it. And it seems like Audio Slave was one of those things that, like, everybody really loved, though we didn't mention it too often. And with the current situation of the world, <laughs> it was uh, a really cool title, Show Me How to Live. You know, like, show me how to live in, in a quarantine, show me how to live in trying times or in uh, in a pandemic. So I thought the, uh, the title was very fitting. and It was such a cool groove, you know, super heavy, but very melodic, which is kind of like the music that we already write. <clears throat> so we thought it was a, a perfect fit. You were right. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's <laughs> awesome. It, I mean, it's on, again, you could, it's on spin, uh, promoted it. I've, I've put out the, uh, the article on my social media. Uh, what is the best way to keep up to date with South of Eden? Uh, obviously you're on all the, uh, the social media as the kids say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're everywhere at South of Eden Band. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. We just we just officially got our blue check mark of justice. So you know, nice. super super pumped. The computer was like, "Hey, you know what? You guys are a real band." I'm like, "You know, thanks." <laughs> <laughs> we also have a text update list too. 
Oh. If you go on our uh, Facebook page, you can text, I guess, SOE to whatever number, and we'll give you updates anytime something's going to be released or discounts to our online merch store, all sorts yeah. of fun stuff like that. Oh, that's really yeah, if you cool. Yeah, South of Eden to 31.99.6, you can get all the updates. That's I don't know if that's a new thing, but that's like I feel like that's the first time I've heard that. That's how more instant can you get than that? You know, that's that's pretty cool. Okay. So I would yeah, ask back you. Yeah, the day they had the mailing list, right? Okay. Right. But now it's text. <laughs> oh man, what a world we live in. So I I would ask you what's next, but I guess I'll get a text about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I guess in the in the in the near future, it's um. You know, just trying to put on a couple of socially distanced shows and um, other fun stuff like that. Over this past weekend, we actually, we had a show on October 3rd that sold out so fast that we had to add uh, another night. So we did two nights over this last weekend uh, here in Columbus that went very, very well. You know, tables and masks and social distance and the whole shebang, which was, you know, a very interesting kind of a vibe. But Mm. we put on a real rock and roll show. So we're really just... We're not only trying to bring rock and roll back, but we're trying to bring music now <laughs> back to the country and back to uh, a couple of cities, uh, but doing it safe and, you know, maintaining all the proper uh, guidelines on a state-to-state basis. And in the distant future, you know, we're renewing our contract for the festivals that got canceled this year. We're uh, lucky enough to be looking at a lot of cool tours in the spring and things of that kind of a nature. So as soon, you know, as, soon as the world lets us, we'll, we'll come in like a, like a wrecking ball. Boat Miley Cyrus. <laughs> uh, aside from, I appreciate that, but uh, I appreciate you know you doing it safely. You know there are bands, uh, Smash Mouth, that are just doing it like like nothing's wrong. Like uh, just, <laughs> something in your throat there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I would love to start a uh, a fight with Smash Mouth. I was starting a Twitter fight with the guy from Trapped. <laughs> <laughs> before. Oh, don't even uh, get me no started comment. on that. No yeah. comment. <laughs> no comment. He's a douche. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you, you don't have to comment on that. Uh, so let me ask uh, Ehab uh, and I'll ask Bendik. So is Ehab, uh, is your favorite GNR song Rock Queen since that was the first uh, Western rock song you heard? Or is there another song that's, you know, taking your heart since? You asking me what my favorite Guns N' Roses song is right I am. now? Man, I just prepared it? for that. That's the point of the podcast, bro. <laughs> oh boy, you, you can give your top. I don't. You don't have to do a Sophie's Choice if you feel more comfortable giving I, your top three or something. Yeah, you know, I I used to be like, oh, it's impossible, but I think I've narrowed it down to Estranged. You know, I think Estranged is my favorite Guns N' Roses song, but I think it's also like one of the best songs that has ever been ever, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, me, it's, it's, it's unbelievably composed, you know, amazing singing, blah, 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 blah. I just think that there isn't another song out there that has the tone that that song has between the guitar tone, the bass tone, the unbelievable piano section. I mean, everything about that song is so, so good. You know, I don't think there's another song like it. Wow. Yeah. I, I, as I take a, a sip of water, um, when I poll fans about favorite songs or, you know, favorite riffs, estranged, it's always up there. So you're going to, you're going to appeal to a lot of listeners just by saying that I will say. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> All right. So now the, the pressure's again on Nick. And every show I've ever played since I was like 15 with, with rocket queen. Cause that riff is so good. Mm. But I'm going to have to go with you to be mine. Yeah, something about the Tom groove at the beginning, and it just gives you energy. I don't know. Maybe it's because um, it was in, what, Terminator 2? That was a great movie. Yep. And that was like the soundtrack, and it just it makes me feel wild, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, for, oh, I forget the guest. It's so bad. I've done you know, two, over 200 of these episodes. And I know it was a recent one, but it was a, a younger you know, uh, guest. I, I say that. I'm, I'm 37, so I'm not... You know, I have gray hairs, but it's not everywhere. Uh, but they found <laughs> Guns N' Roses during the the Terminator. Terminator. <laughs> I was just talking to my Ma- my Massachusetts friend, and it, my, it just came back. The Terminator uh, 2 soundtrack, also, uh, that's how they discovered GNR. So it's interesting when people, you know, the bracket of time that they come into a band. Thank you guys yeah. just, just so much for, for your time today. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to see what comes and, and when this world calms down. You know, I hope you visit uh, New York City and I get to see you live. Yeah, we hope to be back there real soon. 
Awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having us on. And thank you for all the kind words uh, to be here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I hope to, uh, I hope we get to run into each other when the world's back open again. Thanks, guys. Yeah, when the, uh, the world is back open again. Counting the days. Every day. But uh, meanwhile, um, I, I, and, until the world, the apocalypse is over, uh, this thank you so much for continuing to hang out with me on this Guns N' Roses-themed uh, bar mitzvah party of a broadcast where we look at life through Guns N' Roses-colored glasses, our six degrees of a GNR bacon. You know, you, you're helping me pass the time in quarantine, that's for sure, and I'm helping, I'm hoping I'm doing the same for you. So continue doing what you're doing, not just listening to the show, but telling your friends, uh, being a part of the show, commenting and, and continuing the conversation on social media in between episodes. So facebook.com slash the AFD show on Twitter at the AFD show, uh, Instagram appetite for distortion. And, uh, I'll mention, I'll keep mentioning it because I'm finally putting videos up on YouTube. So all the zoom stuff, uh, that we've been doing in quarantine, feel, feel my quarantine is on YouTube and I'm learning a very novice level of video editing, which is just basically putting audio and just slapping photos on it with the, the program that my, my laptop gives me, but I'm able to upload to YouTube that way. So YouTube uh, going forward will be another way to listen to appetite for distortion. So until next time, when will you see the next episode? Who will be uh, the next guest? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.